All right, we gotta go. Let's go. We gotta go fast. Is, are we doing this? Yep, this is started. Uh, One, sorry, two, sorry. three. Ah, we gotta go fast. Okay, we're reading fast. Okay. Uh, uh, well, welcome to our show. Welcome chug. to our podcast. It's an, our podcast is not yours, so we can do whatever we want. Okay. Um, here we go. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, this week we're gonna be talking about. <laughs> hey, hey guys. Hey, how are all my listeners doing? My listeners, and not yours. They're Savannah's listeners. Oh, yeah, that's true. They only come for Savannah. Yeah. Which she was supposed to be here tonight, and she just conveniently is not. So She's conveniently deceased. She decided that she was just going to bounce after last night's recording set or um, Thursday night's recording sessions. <laughs> um, LOL. LOL. Um, and she just straight up was like, mm, I'm leaving. Mm, or more like, well, I'm going to go ahead and leave now. <laughs> well, some water downs, dears, for me. I just like talking about people's business, even though it's. Because it's not my business. It's, it's theirs. theirs. <laughs> LOL. My favorite. Oh, how are you doing, girl? I haven't seen you in so long. I know. It's been a couple hours. Yeah, just a few hours. It's been a couple hours. I mean, um, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, good panics. also. Um, yeah. Oh, that's it? Okay. That's good. it. Good. Did you do anything exciting on your Animal Crossing island? Uh, I met a squirrel. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Is a little gay squirrel talking about his partner? He's talking about his partner. Mm-hmm. And, and his partner's his a lizard. Lures. What? His lures. 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 Well, all his fish puns also are quite entertaining. You can tell this uh, game was made for uh, children. Made for yeah, that too. Uh, but also the like dad joke humor in all of it is um, is a lot. <laughs> it is very. It is uh, immersed in dad jokes. <laughs> it, at least it's a C plus. <laughs> All the memes from Animal Crossing kill me. Kill are they me. sending you? They're sending me. They are lit. <laughs> Litty. Period. I guess I haven't seen any. What are they like? Um, me and Savannah send you Animal Crossing. No, we send them to Nick. Never mind. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Must awkward. be nice for you guys to have more than one friend. Yeah, that's also playing Animal Crossing. It's so weird that you uh, don't have any. <laughs> if you're thinking of self-harm please call please call the hotline <laughs> that was rude um what you're a bitch i know and i don't fucking like you yeah. tell me more and you shouldn't even be you here you shouldn't even be here go back to party city where you belong yeah um well i've never had a sugar daddy i will never have a sugar daddy if i want a sugar daddy i could go out and get one because i am what Trash. Positive for coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Positive for coronavirus and I cannot leave my house. <laughs> that sick. Inning. So, anyways. Um, well, since we're on a time, time deadline, do we want to go jump ahead right and in? jump right in? Yeah. I love that we said both the same things. Um, they were my words. You did technically say them before me, but I was already like uh, in the process of saying them. These words are my own. Well, the listeners at home, as well as you, can attest to the fact that I have to think about what I'm saying like hours in advance <laughs> because if I don't have it planned out, what is happening next? Like right now, <laughs> it just becomes a train my wreck. My words are kind of <laughs> choppy. Choppy. It becomes a full like train wreck. So um, I already had that planned out in my head to say that, and so it came out very naturally. It sounded like your words were falling down the stairs. While I was simultaneously also falling down the stairs next to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. But separate beings. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You were on the side with like the spindles and you broke everyone on the way down. Yeah. With your head. Yeah. Hopefully. 
Hey. Brain damage. <laughs> Brain damage. <laughs> Period. Um, okay. Who's first? I don't remember. I think it's me. Okay. Then you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, since we're stuck inside, I wanted to talk about something that's outside. Oh. Uh, what is outside? Uh, in nature. Mm. Walking with children in nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Uh, I don't want to walk with children. Well. Uh, that is that your topic? Walking with children? Kind of. Because that's pretty, ooh, that's really scary. Kind of, because this is a, this is about the Slender Man. Oh. Who. Didn't we already talk about the Slender Man? No. Who was the one that we talked about? I thought we talked about the Slender Man. No. 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 We had that, the scary one of that guy that was smiling that was running after him. We yeah, haven't talked about the Slender Man. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, so, do you know who the Slender, Slender Man is? I have is? heard of the Slender Man, but I have not... Um, I don't know him. Do you know what he looks like? I thought he doesn't have like a face or something like that. Oh, but I'll show you pictures later. Okay. Okay. So he's an internet legend. Uh-huh. Um, he has some bases in historical legends, but the beauty of the World Wide Web mm-hmm. uh, has made it so that there's so much sharing of information that the story's grown and shifted into something much more frightening than it was before, although it was frightening to start with. Yeah. Uh, so before we start with the origin of Slenderman, I thought I would read a short creepypasta for you. Oh my god, uh, please. Um, this will detail some of his abilities and characteristics. Was this the original one? So or is this like a... I don't think there is like an original, right? There's an original picture. <coughs> Someone took an actual picture of him? Uh, I'll like get there. Art- oh, okay. Um, but there's not like a designate... The person who created the photos or mm-hmm. created Slenderman's like as he's known, uh, mm-hmm. did not make a story about okay. it. He just made the pictures. And then the first person... And people to... were creeped out by the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a... This is the first one that is noted for most people. It okay. was released in July 14th of 2010. Okay. After waking with a jolt, the girl laid in bed a few seconds longer. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Reaching over to switch on her bedside lamp, she re- tried to remember exactly what, what had stolen away her sleep, sweet slumber. When she couldn't, the brunette swung her legs over the side of the bed and heaved herself up. Checking the time on her phone, she snorted when she saw it was midnight. The witching hour. Snorted? That's what it says. Uh, Knowing that sleep would only (laughs) evade her, she left her bedroom for the kitchen. A good cup of coffee on her mind. Yeah, midnight. Let's go ahead and drink some coffee. Some people do that. Some people drink like nighttime coffee, and I don't understand. If you're a nighttime coffee drinker... Please What's email us at rcbpodcast at gmail.com and tell me what the fuck, because <laughs> I need to know. I mean, I've had Red Bull and gone to bed. I can't do that. But it also has vodka in it. Caffeine fucks me up. Like, caffeine fucks me up so much that when I have, like, mocha ice cream, like, coffee ice cream, that keeps me awake. <laughs> Which I think is one thing to blame for, like, my restlessness and not being able to sleep during this whole quarantine thing and not going to sleep until 5 o'clock in the morning, because the first week that this all started, I was eating that mocha ice cream before bed every single night, and it would keep me up until, like, 4 o'clock in the, in the morning, and now here we are. I'm staying up until 5 every single day, so. Are you still drinking coffee? No. Okay. I haven't drank coffee, actually, in a really long time. Yeah. Since, like, January. What? Yeah. Why did you give it up? I don't know. I drink it every once in a while, but, like, it's very, very rare. Because, I, like, I was having a lot of, like, acid problems. <laughs> no, it's just TMI, but, and also kind of gross. You but, love to talk about your body. But, yeah, I know. Um, but, like, it was just, like, giving me, like, really, like, gross burps. And, like, I was taking Tums all the time. So then I stopped 
drinking coffee. I try to avoid like tomato based stuff. Um, you should try <laughs> Sunshine Tomato Company. Oh my gosh, yeah. Got yellow tomatoes. <laughs> Acid free. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, okay. So, anyway, sorry. <laughs> she passed by her front door and a chill spread like liquid fire down her spine. It's only winter, she told herself, focusing again on the coffee plan. Measuring out scoops, water, and preparing her cup kept her occupied, but as the dark liquid boiled, she had nothing left to keep her mind from wandering off. The chill returned, and she couldn't help but glance behind her towards the front door. It stood there innocently enough, just like always. The deadbolt was still in place, and she could see nothing amiss with it. Turning back to her coffee, she did her best to forget about the feeling. With her cup in hand, damn it. Yep. With her cup in hand. Damn it! <laughs> well, it, it went down a page and then it left. It got rid of my spot. Uh-huh. With her cup in hand, she started back towards her bedroom. I'm going to drink that coffee mm-hmm. in bed. Just lay in bed, hopefully fall asleep after drinking caffeine. Uh-huh. As she walked by the front door, she decided that a quick glance out of the peephole would calm her restless mind. Nope. The chill don't worsened with each step she took towards the door. Are you scared of the dark? No. I am. <laughs> I really am. I th- like Even as an adult, I'm like, the dark scares me. <laughs> I'm a little afraid of the dark at the lake house when I'm alone. Okay. But it's much darker there. Yeah. Like and actually dark. Yeah. Like real darkness versus yeah, like, like city darkness. I'm going to turn out all the lights later and we're just going to watch TV in Just the dark. here. Okay. And then I'm going to change it to a channel that's static and then I'm going to pass out. You just hear Is that okay? <laughs> From the static. <laughs> just turn on my phone. <laughs> Silence play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tornado sirens. Yeah. Chris is terrified of tornado sirens. Uh-huh. I actually thought about um, talking about uh, tornadoes today. We can never do weather events okay. because I will be scared. Okay, and this well, is about scaring you, not to. me. It's about scaring each other. <laughs> I'm never scared. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I was gonna talk about the tornado streak, like that happened in like 2011 or whatever. Oh, that was bad. There was like a lot of tornadoes that destroyed a lot of shit. Joplin. Yeah. 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 Um, so she pressed her empty hand against the cold metal door and took a deep breath before leading her eye into the peephole. That's a weird way to say that. Mm-hmm. At first, I've never read this before. No. Just so you know. Um, at first, she could only see an inky blackness and somehow seemed to swirl in itself. When she blinked in surprise, the void melted away. She wished it hadn't. In its place, there stood what she could only guess was a man. The limbs were long and inhumanely awkward, with bulky joints branching off into several arms, not unlike the branches of a tree. The creature was draped in a black suit, somehow making the thing more nightmarish to her. The icing on the proverbial cake, however, was what passed as the hellish thing's face. It was though her mind blurred the ghastly visage to spare itself further shock and horror. She shoved herself away from the door with the hand still pressed against it. The scalding mug of coffee fell, the liquid burning her bare legs as she fell backwards and tried to crawl away from the door. She knew somehow that her mind hadn't been playing tricks on her. As she crab-walked away from the door, she t- watched as tendrils as black as the void she first saw snake through the door cracks. The girl was trapped between the instinct to flee and the gut feeling of not to turn her back on the door. When the door jolted, The urge to flee overcame her, and she slipped in the burning liquid as she tried to make it back to her room. She knew deep down that she was trapping herself in a corner, but she had to get away from the door. The girl was halfway down the hallway when she heard the previously locked door creak open. 
She screamed and slipped into a wall, cracking her chin on it and stunning her. After that, only blackness. Nicole, a warm uh, male voice, snapped the woman out of her trance. As she turned around, she was met by one of her sister's doctors. She nodded, not sure if she should say anything, or if she could even find her voice if she did have something to say. That morning, she had gotten an urgent phone call from the hospital, saying her sister Lindsay was there. Before they had even let her see her, the doctor had pulled her off to the side and insisted that they talk to her again about what might have happened. Phrases like self-inflicted and assault had been thrown around, and Nicole felt her mind reel. She hadn't fully understood what they had been saying until she saw Lindsay with her own eyes. Her little sister had a bandage wrapped around her head, covering both of her ears as well as her eyes. They said it was to keep her now deadened eyes from drying out and to keep the infection out of the wounds Lindsay had made to her ears. The doctors had guessed that either she or someone else had jammed a pencil into them to keep her off balance or to deafen herself against something. There was a mix of first and second degree burns on her hands, legs, and feet from what was assumed to be coffee her neighbors found slipped all over the entry to her apartment. As Nicole walked into her sister's hospital room for the first time, she thought that she had spied the silhouette of a man in the window. That she knew was impossible. Her sister's room was on the third story Ooh. of the hospital. Ooh. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh. I was like, tell me more. That's the first story about the Slender Man. Okay. I'll tell you about the Slender Man. Okay, though. now tell me about the Slender Man. I want to know all the legends. So there's plenty of these stories on the internet, but they all stem from an image posted to the Something Awful Forum on June 10th, 2009, mm -hmm. designed by poster Victor Serge in real life known as Eric Knudsen. There are two black and white photographs that Knudsen had doctored to include tall, faceless creatures with tentacles standing in the background of the images. In one, he is standing in a playground amongst a group of children. In the second, he is standing behind a group of teenagers walking by. I'll show you. Mm. Let me just do a little Google a here. A quick Google search. A little googly Google. Just pop on over. Hi, Google. How y'all doing, Google? How y'all doing? Oh, so, here's number one. Can you see him? Oh, yeah. He's got, like, tentacles back there. Yeah. Okay. And then the other one is this one. This one I think is more terrifying. I don't see him. He's back there. Huh! Stop. <laughs> oh, He's in a the very blurry. back. Yeah. Like that, that thing? Am I looking at the right thing? Yeah. Okay. Back in the back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. <clears throat> these just look like a blob. I'm like. Hmm? Well, you're wearing glasses, so. What? <laughs> Your glasses are dirty. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, these were created as a sort of contest to see who could create the most disturbing photo. Mm -hmm. That's the... That was the theme? That's the only thing. And yeah. so that's where the that's Slenderman where the came from. comes from. Oh, well, the end of topic. We're done. Yep. Um, <laughs> obviously, we know whose images was the furthest reaching. Mm -hmm. um, so the Slenderman became an internet sensation, sparking innumerable short stories, full-length books, video games, movies, web series, and more. But what does the Slenderman actually do? I will give you a little bit of his personality and powers now, since he is a fictional character that has come to be without a true storyline. Uh, he has evolved with more and more abilities as time goes on. Oh, Lord. But he is tall, has tentacles that can extend and retract to catch his prey. His face is white and featureless. 
He wears a black suit with a white shirt and a black tie. He is often associated with forests and has the ability to teleport. Okay. Being near him causes people to have slender sickness. Quotes. A rapid onset of paranoia, nightmares, delusions, and nosebleeds. Early stories depict him as only targeting children or young adults. Some stories portray Slenderman controlling young adults and forcing them to act on Slenderman's behalf. Some of the stories claim that if you research or try to investigate the Slenderman, he will find you, while others say that seeing Slenderman drives a person mad. Mm-hmm. There are many believed, uh, there are many different in- instances of the Slenderman, so it is hard to nail down exacts about him, but there are folk tales that are believed to be the inspiration for Slenderman authors. In from German folklore, the Grossman. This is like past. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. The Grossman. As the story goes, Der Grossman is a fairy who lives in the Black Forest. Parents would warn their children not to go into the woods late at night or even stay up too late for that matter. They also added that if the children did not do this, then Der Grossman would come and take them. For children who had gone into the forest despite their parents' warnings, Der Grossman is said to have chased them in the forest. He would prolong the pursuit until he finally caught the children, stealing them away to a fate unknown. Or he would ch- uh, the chase would also stop when the child returned home and confessed to their parents what they had done, or that they had disobeyed them and gone into the forest. At the very least, in this method, there is a hope of escape. Some stories tell how he lures children in by haunting them and whispering voices into their head to, for him to come or for them to come to him. The children who do go to him are said to walk into many arms and be taken away to an unknown fate. This sounds like uh, the what's a Hansel and Gretel kind of shit. It's German. Yeah, that's true. They're Grossman. I mean, Grossman means large man. Yeah. And it's literal translation. Ooh, our order's out for delivery. Ooh. We're having pizza. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a few other stories say that Der Grossman will come tapping at the window of a child who stays up too late and he will take them away. Their fate, cryptically, as the legend repeats. I know. Um, this also sounds like if any of these are actually true, <laughs> it sounds like there's uh, a serial pedophile <laughs> somewhere out there that's doing some weird things. So, Well, I'm sure they had to explain it to themselves <clears throat> somehow exactly. back in the days. Yeah. Oh, well, the kid just disappeared. Oh, he probably stayed up too late. And some <laughs> man just came and took him. <laughs> the dad's telling his people, he was up at like midnight. <laughs> I don't know what to do, guys. Yeah. Kid's gone. <laughs> He was all, didn't you rape that kid? No, Mm-mm. that's not true. I didn't do it. It was Dirk Did Rosman. not rape and kill him. He just, some mythic legend came and just took him. Listen. <laughs> uh, Dirk Grossman himself. Ooh. Ooh. Is he here already? No. Oh. Ooh. Dirk Grossman is labeled to have many profound features. These include, include great heights, as implied by the name. A multi, incredibly thin multiple upper limbs, and a disfigured facial features. He is said to be as tall as to hide amongst the trees of the Black Forest, and so his name was based off this most obvious fact. He is also described to be excessively thin along with his height to further camouflage amongst the trees of Schwarzwald, which include various pines and firs like Norway spruce and white pine. His upper limbs are uh, described as handless, and they are often compared to tentacles. He is said to use those limbs to ensnare children so he can take them away. His facial features vary story by story. Some say he is void of any facial features at all whatsoever. Others describe him as having pearl orb eyes and no face. Okay. And a few describe him as being faceless but having a gruesome smile. Uh, Sounds like people 
whenever this was happening, <laughs> or whenever people, you know, whenever they encountered him, were just high on LSD or something like that. <laughs> it is prevalent through many cultures. <clears throat> I know. Um, there's <clears throat> also a, a portrait called Three Ages of Women, Woman, and Death, a portrait by Hans Bodenkrein, a German artist. His painting depicts a baby, a young woman, and an older woman, and death. Okay. Meant to signalize the journey of life and how time affects us. The painting looks normal to the naked eye. However, when x-rayed, the painting depicts death as having multiple arms. Ooh. The Fyrdubn is a rare, uh, very rare Scottish myth that describes a creature who has a certain habit of haunting people. The near name Fyrdub, uh, even though it is a Scottish legend, translates from Irish to English as the dark man. Uh, now, because the two nations are so close in proximity, this means that the myth is uh, influenced by Irish culture as well. The dating of the myth is unknown, as it is so obscure and does not have any base story. Uh, as the legends go, there is a fear enti- or an entity named Fear Dub who... Goddamn wiggles. Uh, fear Dub who haunts or follows the footsteps of lone travelers passing through the woods. Uh, the base of the legend doesn't describe much past this, but for its primary purpose, it doesn't need to. Okay. Um, Ghost Stories from the American South was a book that includes the legend of a man who was gruesomely tortured in an unknown forest. The man includes, or this includes being beaten with a log, skewered repeat, repeatedly with two feet sticks, uh, and then he was hung from a tree with his arms and legs dislocated from their sockets. After the event, the supposedly dead man captured victims and brought them into the forest where he died. From here, there are two minor variations of the myth. One says you will be tied down while the other states he will tower over you. Either way, there is a log hanging over your head, and this man is before you. He would then prompt you with a question. On the occasion that you got the question right, he would break your arms and legs. However, if you answered incorrectly, the man is said to stretch his fingers down your throat and pull out your heart. In one particular variation, he is said to stretch out his arms, legs, fingers, feet, toes, hands, whatever is supposed to increase his height, however... Uh, this variation is only cited for specific uh, few sources. Okay. Uh, the Noperabo in Japan. Uh, the Noperabo is a faceless ghost or Japanese yokai, a legendary creature that looks like a human but has no face. They are sometimes mistakenly referred to as Mujina, an old Japanese word for a badger or raccoon dog. What? <laughs> A raccoon dog. A raccoon dog. Like uh, Tanuki Mario. Who? Tanuki Mario with his little tail. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Although the Mujina can also assume a form of another, the Noperaba uh, are usually disguised as humans. Such creatures were thought to sometimes transform themselves into Noperabo Noperabo, uh, in order to frighten humans. Noperabo are known primarily for frightening humans, but are usually otherwise harmless. They first appeared as an ordinary human beings, sometimes impersonating someone familiar to the victim, before causing their features to disappear, leaving a blank, smooth sheet of skin where the face should be. Uh, there's two stories that uh, Noperabo is very prominently displayed in. The Noperabo and the Koi Pond. This tale recounts a lazy fisherman who decided to fish in an imperial Koi Pond near Haiyan Kyo Palace. Despite being warned by his wife about the pond being sacred and near a graveyard, the fisherman went anyway. 
<laughs> he said, fuck you, bitch. Fuck you. I'm going to do my own shit. Okay. On his way to the pond, he is warned by another fisherman not to go there, but he again ignores the warning. Once at the spot, he is met by a beautiful young woman who pleads with him to not fish in the pond. He ignores her, and to his horror, she wipes off her face. Rushing home to hide, he is confronted by what seems to be his wife, who chastises him for his wickedness before wiping off her own face. Mm. Um, in the second story, the Mujina and the Akasaka Pond, or Akasaka Road, um, is a recollection of the Noparabo from Lafacadio Hearn's book, Kwaidan Stories and Studies of Strange Things, titled Mujina. The story of a man who travels along the Akasaka Road to Edo. He, come acro- he came across a young woman in a remote location near Kunizaka Hill, crying and forlorn. After attempting to console the young woman and offer assistance, she turned to face him, startling him with a blank countenance on the face of a faceless ghost. Frightened, the man proceeded down the road for some time until he came to a soba vendor. Stopping to relax, the man told his vendor of this, the tale, only to recoil in horror as the sober vendor stroked his own face, becoming an operabo himself. Oh my god. So, mostly folklore. <clears throat> there's, uh, there's no provable truth except for one thing about Slender Man. So, in late May of 2014, uh, two 12 year old girls from oh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, held down and stabbed a classmate. 19 times. Stabbed a classmate? You remember that? No. <laughs> uh, the victim survived the attack and waited until they had left before crawling out into a roadway to be noticed by a passing cyclist. It's always a cyclist. It's always Those a poor cyclist. Poor cyclists. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't ever ride a bike. Honestly. <laughs> uh, you can't right now anyway. Well, you can't. No! Oh, okay. Stay inside. Okay. Uh, when interrogated by the police, the two girls stated that they had read online that in an order to become a proxy to the Slender Man, they had to murder someone. They also stated that they were afraid that the Slender Man would murder their families if they did not commit the murder. Both girls were diagnosed with mental illness, and they are being tried as adults. They are facing up to 65 years in prison. Lord. One of the girls reportedly said Slender Man watches her and can read minds and could teleport. Experts testified in court that she also said she conversed with Lord Voldemort and one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, boy. Uh, on August 1st, 2014, uh, she was found incompetent to stand trial, and her prosecution was suspended until her condition improved. On November 12th, judge ruled that her condition had improved enough for her to stand trial. On December 19th, 2014, the judge ruled that both girls were competent to stand trial. August 2015, the presiding judge ruled that the girls would be tried as adults. They would be tried separately. On August 21st, 2017, one of the girls, now 15, pled guilty to being a party to attempted second-degree homicide, but she claimed that she was not responsible for her actions on the grounds of insanity. (laughs) Other prosecutors alleged that she knew what she was doing was wrong, and the jury determined that she was mentally ill during the attack. She will spend at least uh, three years in a mental hospital. On December 21st, Waukesha County Circuit Judge Michael Boren sentenced her to, she's 16 years old at the time, to be hospitalized for 25 years from the date of the crime. Oh my God. She'll be institutionalized until age 37. (coughs) On September. That's that's absolutely crazy. Like, to, well, I mean, they deserve it. Hey, don't stab anybody. Yeah, just don't do that. Well, that's her. On September 25th, it was reported that the other girl, then 15, had agreed to plead guilty to attempting to f- commit first-degree murder uh, in an arrangement that would allow her to avoid jail time. 
In the terms of the uh, arrangement, she would remain in the mental hospital where she had been staying for the past two years, uh, at least for another three years. On the February 1st of 2018, Associated Press reported that Geiser had been sentenced. Geiser had been sentenced. I was not supposed to use her name. The girl had been sentenced to 40 years Wait, in the why? Wisconsin mental hospital. It's the maximum sentence. No, why? Um, can't, why didn't I just didn't want to. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were minors. So, not, they're not being tried as minors. <laughs> no. That's so. And that's that's, that's um, so you said that they, the reason why they did that was because they were trying to like, not like you had to commit a murder because to protect their family, but from to also, an internet sensation to also become his like protege, his, yeah, stupid, stupid people be crazy. Uh, you're in a cult. Call your dad. <laughs> you're in a cult that you made yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, when you were talking about the Japanese Slenderman, uh, all I could think about, have you, I think I've asked you this like a million times probably you know, on Yasha? the podcast. No. Have you watched Avatar, Avatar The Last Airbender? No. Okay. Well, there's a character on it called Ko, the face dealer, and she is basically a faceless, like, a crazy thing that, I mean, she, she alternates her face, like, in the spirit realm. So that's all I could think about was, was Ko. I think there's a character like that similar in Inuyasha. Yeah. So maybe it's taken from Well, Inuyasha, this. they, like, they are out there to get yokais. Get yokais? Yokais. Oh, to, okay. Japanese. Spirits. Spirits. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Isn't I never wild? watched Inuyasha. Inuyasha's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was really good. I mean, the whole internet sensationalism, like, behind that is something that we're going to see, I'm sure, a lot more of in the future, which is people, I mean, it's going to become very similar to, like, online cults, as opposed to, like, actual, like, real cults, like, cult followings of people. I mean, we see that with Stan culture. People do just, like, follow people blindly. Literally. I'm in Trisha Paytas' cult. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you show me her videos all the time. Hey. <laughs> oh, no, if I'm going to join a cult that. from the internet, it's going to be Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Nicki Minaj. Big moves. I just do whatever Nicki Minaj told me to do. Did you murder someone? Yes. Nicki Minaj told me to. (laughs) She said, this is 24-inch Remy. (laughs) And I said, let me go kill that bitch. (laughs) (laughs) LOL. Uh, Nicki Minaj. Yeah, I like that. Well, I'm going to tell about another tale that is actually true. But it was not solved. So... I'm going to talk about the Axemen in New Orleans. Did you ever hear about that? I have heard of it. And you watch American Horror Story Coven, right? No. no? Okay, well, American Horror Story Coven had a really good episode about the Axemen because um, they're based in New Orleans, and I really like that. So I, I love this story. Have, ever since this, I had wanted to do this one. Like, ever since I saw, like, Coven, uh, I was like, oh, that's, like, a really good story. Because then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, it's real. Like, they took, like, fictional, historical fiction, essentially, and, like, you know, turned it into its own thing. Um so I'm going to start from the beginning, uh, because since there was no, like, trial or anything like that, I'm just going to talk about, like... never caught. Exactly. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry. Oh, shit. Yeah. But no, no. I mean, it's true. I, would, I had already said that. Um, that I'm just going to go through the victims, essentially, and, like, kind of describe what happened. So on the night of May 23rd of 1918, Joseph Maggio and his wife Catherine were attacked in their sleep in their home. The killer broke into the home and then proceeded to cut the couple's throat with a straight razor. Catherine's throat was cut so deeply that her head was nearly severed from her shoulders. Excuse me. Upon leaving the killer... What? Upon leaving, the killer bashed their heads with an axe, perhaps in order to conceal the real cause of death. Joseph initially survived the attack, but died minutes after being discovered by his brothers Jake and Andrew Maggio, who lived next door. Catherine died prior to their arrival. 
uh, because her head was basically cut off. (laughs) In the apartment, uh, law enforcement agents found the bloody clothes of the murderer as he had obviously changed into a clean set of clothes before fleeing the scene. So he was, he had planned, it was premeditated. He had planned that to bring a change of clothes after he killed them. Um, a complete search of the premises was not completed by police after the bodies were removed, yet later the bloody razor was found on the lawn of the neighboring property. Police ruled out Robert Robert Damn Robert it. Robert and handicaps. <laughs> call back. Robert and handicaps part two. Um, police ruled out robbery as motivation for the attacks as money and valuables left in plain sight were not stolen by the intruder. The razor used to kill the couple was found to belong to Andrew Maggio, the brother, uh, the brother, I just wrote. The, I wrote that next. The brother of the deceased, who uh, conducted a barber shop on Camp Street. Um, his employee Esteban Torres told police that Maggio had removed the razor from his shop two days prior to the murder, explaining that he had wanted to have a nick honed from the blade. <clears throat> Excuse me, Maggio, who lived in the adjoining apartment to his brother's re- residence, discovered his slain brother and sister-in-law roughly two hours after the gruesome attacks had occurred upon hearing strange groaning noises through the wall. Maggio blamed his failure to hear any noise related to the attacks that had happened in the early morning hours on his intoxicated state as he had returned home after a night of celebration prior to his departure to join the Navy. Police, however, were nonetheless surprised that he failed to hear the intruder as he made a forced entry into the home. Andrew Maggio became the police chief's prime suspect in the crime, yet was released after investigators were unable to break down his statement, as well as his account of an unknown man who was supposedly seen lurking near the residence prior to the murders. So then the next one. On the night of June 27th of 1918, so this is, what, three, not even three months, uh, a month after this, uh, Louis Basumer and his, uh, or Basumer? Basumer. It's probably Basumer. Basumer. Maybe. Um, and they're all... Oh. And see. So they are um, Italian. All of them are Italian. So Italian? Yeah. So they would not be uh, French, even though they're in New Orleans. Um, the street names are French, but they are not. It's still um, Bissimé. No, it's not. Louis Bessumer. <laughs> Bessumer. Excuse me. And his wife, Harriet Lau... La- no, not his wife. His mistress, Harriet Lowe, were attacked in the quarters... Sexy. At the back of his grocery, which was located at the corner of Dorgenois and La Harpe Streets. <laughs> no, that's wrong. No, you said them wrong. How? Let me see. Dorgenois. There's no je noise. G. Dorgenois. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was right. You fucking bitch. La Harpe. La Harpe. La Harpe. Anyways, <laughs> so I said it right. Dorgenois. Dorgenois. That's what I said. No, you're saying Dorgenois. Because I am Texan, and apparently, according to you, I have a thick accent. You do. I do not have a thick accent. In the comments, let us know. Okay. Let let us know at (laughs) rspoopypodcast on Instagram.com, rspoopy on uh, Facebook, and rspoopy on Twitter. And also drop us a line at rspoopypodcast at gmail.com. Anyways, so... Yeah. So Basumer was struck with a uh, hatchet above his right temple, which resulted in a possible skull skull fracture. Lowe was hacked over the left ear and found unconscious when police arrived at the scene. 
The couple was discovered shortly after 7 a.m. on the morning of the attack by John Zanka, a driver of a bakery wagon who had come to the grocery in order to make a routine delivery. Zanka found both Bazumer and Lowe in a puddle of their own blood, both bleeding from their heads. The axe, which had belonged to Basumer himself, was found in the bathroom of the apartment. Basumer later stated to the police that he had been sleeping when he was bashed with a hatchet, which was not true because they Wait. were outside. Um, he said that he was ba- He didn't die? No, they didn't die. Oh. Yeah, so not everyone was murdered. You got hit in the head with a hatchet and you didn't die? Like carved into the head with a hatchet, yeah. Um, Ooh, girl. Yeah. Those Almost yeah. strong bones. Yeah, big bones. Yeah. <laughs> Almost immediately, police arrested potential suspect Louis Ubicon. Ubicon? Let me see. Ubicon. O-U-B-I-C-O-N. Ubicon. Ubicon. And then 41, uh, a then 41-year-old African-American man, <clears throat> excuse me, who had been employed in Basumer's store just a week before the attacks. No evidence existed that could have proved the man guilty, yet police arrested him nonetheless because it's the 1920s and he was black and you're in Louisiana. So they were mm-hmm. just like, oh, fuck you. Um, so stating that Uibicon had offered conflicting accounts on his whereabouts on the morning of the attack. Shortly after the attempted murder of Lowe stated, shortly after the attempted murder, Lowe stated that she remembered having been attacked by a a mulatto man, uh, yet her statement was discounted by police due to her delusional state. Uh, after this attack, she was like, roll all over the place because I mean she had her brains basically carved out her face got paralyzed and then she had oh we haven't gotten there yet hold on robbery um, was facial paralyzation you don't need Botox anymore girl (laughs) exactly robbery was said to be the only possible explanation for the attacks yet no money or valuables were removed from the couple's home Wibicon was later released as police were unable to gather sufficient evidence to hold him accountable for the crimes this is America yeah America you're guilty until proven innocent I mean, what? <laughs> you did it until you didn't. Yeah, basically. I mean, what? <laughs> well, if you're a person of color in this country in this day and age, <laughs> that's how they treat it. Um, media attention turned to Basumer himself as a series of letters written in German, Russian, and Yiddish were discovered in a trunk at the man's home. Police suspected that Basumer was a German spy, and government officials began a full investigation of his potential espionage. Weeks later, after going in and out of consciousness, Harriet Lowe told police that she thought Basumer was in fact a German spy, which led to his immediate arrest. Two days later, Basumer was released, and two lead investigators of the case were demoted due to the unacceptable police work. It was just like, oh, we're scared of spies. We're at you know World War One, freaking out like, and that's what they were just like, oh, lock him up, you know, put him in jail. <clears throat> yeah. Basumer was once again arrested in August of 1918 uh, after Harriet Lowe, who had laid dying in the Chariot Hospital after a failed surgery, stated that it was he who had attacked her more than a month previously with his hatchet. So she had been going in and out of delusional states, and then her face was paralyzed after she like started to recover. Um, and so they were like, oh, well, let's go ahead and try and fix that. And then she ended up dying from that surgery. <laughs> so she didn't die from the actual attack. Yeah, she died from a surgery from that was yeah, exactly. to fix it. <clears throat> and I didn't write this down because it was a whole side story, but there was a whole, like, media, like, jumped on Harriet Lowe so hard because she was a mistress, and his wife, uh, Basumer's wife, was up in Cincinnati and, like, came down, and, like, there was this whole ordeal about, like, people trying to get more information from his wife, who then ended up being, not being his wife. Exactly. So it was, like, this whole ordeal 
And like, I mean, it's 1919, like, or 1918, like, ooh, <laughs> kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, he boo. was charged, yeah, boo. He was charged with murder and served nine months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st of 1919 after a 10 minute jury deliberation. So they were like, yeah, he did it. And they're like, wait, no. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, he did. But he hit himself? So, oh, maybe not. Maybe. It's so weird. Um, on the evening of August 5th of 1918, Anna Schneider was attacked. The eight month pregnant. Uh, 28-year-old of on Elmira Street awoke to find a dark figure standing over her and was bashed in the face repeatedly. Her scalp had been cut open and her face was completely covered in blood. Mrs. Schneider was discovered after midnight by her husband, Ed Schneider, who was returning late home from work. Returning late from work. There you go. Returning home late from work. Oh, my gosh. Schneider claimed that she remembered nothing of the attack and gave birth to a healthy baby girl two days after the incident. Her husband told police that nothing was stolen from the house besides six or seven dollars that had been in his wallet. Which then I look, I'm like, was it really actually stolen or did you just like misplace it or spend it? <laughs> like, he took exactly six How much dollars. was that pizza again? <laughs> $23.84. And I need that money back for more pizza. <laughs> exactly. So windows and doors of the apartment appear to have not been forced open, and authorities came to the conclusion that the woman was most likely attacked with a lamp that had been on a nearby table. James Gleason, who police said was an ex-convict, was arrested shortly after Schneider was found. Gleason was later released due to complete lack of evidence and stated that he originally ran from authorities because he had so often been arrested. Lead investigators began to publicly speculate that the attack was related to the previous incidents involving Basumer and Maggio, since these are only three months apart from each other. Um, so they're finally like, maybe these are related. <laughs> I don't know how close they are because I don't know like New Orleans uh, and like the streets and stuff like that, that they gave. Oh, I um, do. Oh, um, you do? They okay. are in the same city. Well, if you are localities of New Orleans podcast, <laughs> Yay! Uh, if you are from New Orleans and know these different areas, uh, let us know if these different streets are close to each other. Um, well, and in the 20s, New Orleans was like probably one of the largest cities in America. Yeah. I mean, it still is, yeah. but it was even more so back <laughs> yeah. then. I mean, in the 1800s, it was booming. Booming. Um, booming. Boom. Big booms. Booms. Um, so then on August 10th of 1918, Joseph, so this is five days later, um, Joseph Romano, an elderly man living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno, uh, he was attacked. Pauline and Mary awoke to the sound of a commotion in the adjoining room where their uncle resided. Upon entering the room, the sisters discovered that their uncle had taken a serious blow to his head, which resulted in two open cuts. The assailant was fleeing the scene as they arrived, yet the girls were able to distinguish excuse me, that he was a dark-skinned, heavyset man who wore a dark suit and slouched hat. <coughs> Romano, although seriously injured, was able to walk to the ambulance once it arrived, yet died two days later due to severe head trauma. The home had been ransacked, yet no items were stolen from Romano. Authorities found a bloody axe in the backyard and discovered that the panel on the back door had been chiseled away. The Romano murder created a state of extreme chaos in the city, with residents living in constant fear of an axeman attack, especially since this was five days after the last one, after being you know three months apart. In a city, you know, in the 20s. Uh, Police received a slew of reports in which citizens claimed to have seen an axeman lurking in the New Orleans neighborhoods. A few men even called to report that they had found axes in their backyards. So basically the people are just like, oh my god, I got an axe. Like, freaking out. (laughs) You left that there, (laughs) John. You were cutting wood. (laughs) You did that. (laughs) Literally cutting the wood. (gasps) 
There's an axe. <laughs> what did this come from? <laughs> Runs inside and calls the police. Gasp. Um, John D'Antonio, uh, a then-retired Italian detective, uh, made public statements in which he hypothesized that the man who had committed the Axeman murders was the same who had killed the several individuals in 1911. So there were several individuals that, like, in a similar manner that had died in 1911 and 1912 as well. Uh, but this is, like, six years after the fact now. So I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe he came back from war and was like, oh, I'm going to start murdering people again. I loved that. I loved that. I don't have a gun, so let's just go ahead and murder people with axes. The only problem is that like one of the people that – or a couple of the people who were killed were killed with a gun in 19 – like 1912 and 1913, I think. Um, so they were like, oh, I don't think this is the same person. It's not – it's a different modus operandi. You know, <laughs> modus operandi. Modus operandi. It's Rigor Morris, girl. Rigor Morris. <laughs> Who's Morris? Um, the retired detective cited similarities in the manner of which uh, the two sets of homicides had been committed as a reason to assume that they had been conducted by the same individual. D'Antonio described the potential killer as an individual of dual personalities who killed without motive. This type of individual, D'Antonio stated, could very likely have been a normal law-abiding citizen who was often overcome by an overwhelming desire to kill. He later went on to describe the killer as a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I always love... you Jack the Ripper more than Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I would say that as well. Um, but I do have to say, it always cracks me up when people are like, oh, it's it could easily be a normal law-abiding citizen. Yeah, most killers Literally are. Literally everybody. Yeah. Most killers are, like, they're flying under the radar <laughs> to do this. Unless they're, like, doing a full, like, murder spree where they just go out and, like, kill a bunch of people and then, like, that's it. You know, they're trying to do that. They're, yeah. That's what a serial killer is. <laughs> I mean, we literally know that the guy that lives in the apartment two doors down who wears a veil 24-7, we know he's a murderer. Exactly. It's, uh, it's not oh, obvious. so that, obvious. That was obvious. Duh. But the other ones, when they can't find who it is? It's, it's could be anybody. Oh, my could God. Could be anybody. Like, how are you supposed to look and like, oh, yep, that's a killer. <laughs> that's that's a killer. Literally, unless they're wearing a veil. He just looks I don't, like I don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't, you know. I don't get it. Um, so then the murders continue. Uh, Charles Cort- Cortamiglia. Cortamiglia. That's my name. Charles Cortemiglia was an immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie, and infant daughter. This is infant. This is a toddler. It was two years old. Uh, Mary, on the corner of Jefferson Avenue and the 2nd Street in Gretna, Louisiana, a New Orleans suburb across the Mississippi River. On the night of March 10th, 1919, screams were heard coming from the Cortemiglia residence. Uh, Grocer. Oh, Lord. These Italian names. Grocer Orlando Giordano. Orlando. Such with an I. Orlando. Orlando. Grocer Orlando Giordano <laughs> rushed across the street to investigate. Upon his arrival, Giordano noticed that Charles Cortemiglia's that Charles Cortemiglia, his wife, and their daughter had been attacked by the unknown intruder. Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, clutching her deceased daughter. Charles lay on the floor, bleeding profusely. The couple was rushed to Charity Hospital, where it was discovered that both had suffered skull fractures. Nothing was stolen from the house, but a panel on the back door had been chiseled away, and a bloody axe was found on the back porch of the home. Charles was released two days later, while his wife remained in the care of doctors. Upon gaining full full consciousness... Uh, Rosie made claims that Iorlando Giordano and his 18-year-old son, Frank, were responsible for the attack. 
Orlando and 16, a 69-year-old man was in too poor of health to, to have committed the crimes. Frank Giordano, more than six feet tall and weighing over 200 pounds, would have been too large to have fit through the panel on the back door. Charles Cortemiglia vehemently denied his wife's claims, yet police nonetheless arrested the two and charged them with murder. The men were found guilty. Uh, Frank was sentenced, which, how? There's no evidence, and you, they couldn't get in the house. <laughs> Anyways, Frank was sentenced to hang and his father to life in prison. Charles Cortemiglia divorced his wife uh, after the trial. Almost a year later, Rosie announced that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. Her statement was the only evidence against the Giordanos, and they were released from jail shortly after. So the, so the bitch literally was like, I don't like them, and I'm jealous of their life, so I know it was them. They, yep. they killed my daughter and attacked us. Like, I mean, that's not uncommon. <laughs> I know it's not, but it's fucked up. Um, so then, so that, oh, ooh, where'd it go? It's all gone. Oh, boy, it's all gone. Mm. You deleted the whole thing. Yep, it's all gone. No. Um, so that was on March 10th. <coughs> so then on March 13th, three days later, a letter purporting to be from the Axeman was published in newspapers saying that he would kill again in f- at at 15 minutes past midnight on the night of March 19th, but would spare the occupants of any place where a jazz band was playing. That night, all of New Orleans dance halls were filled to capacity and professional and amateur bands played jazz at parties at hundreds of houses around town. There was no murders that night. Let me go ahead and read this letter. You ready? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Gotta get my letter letter reading voice. Uh, it needs to be really southern and kind of New Orleans-y. Ooh, I don't know New Orleans accents. I'm just going to do real southern. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. So I'm just going to – the title is Hell, March 13, 1919, Esteemed Mortal of New Orleans, the Axemen. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orlean, Orleanians, 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 yeah, Orleanians, and your foolish police call the Axemen. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he who... Whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis, Yosef, etc. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then... But tell them to be aware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for if it were better for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axemen. I don't know I don't think there, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't think there is any need of a, of such a warning, for I feel the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as the most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. 
at at will I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music. I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much, for, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not like jazz who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus. What is that? Sorry? A deep abyss dungeon that is used as... Yeah, okay. Um, and it is about time, if I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, and that may go well with thee. I have been, am, am and will be, the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. I feel like a lot of that didn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> written by a schizophrenic person. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Just that hasn't murdered anybody. Yeah. Just wanted to write a note. Well, he didn't murder anyone that night. Yes. So, <laughs> spoiler alert. People played all their jazz records I know. that night. Yeah. All of it. That's what they were saying. Like, all the clubs were, like, popping. <laughs> this would have been me. Ah, swing dancing. <laughs> no, I jazz. I got my jazz. 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 It was, like, standing on, like, those giant, like, New Orleans balconies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> well. Mama, don't. Mama. So then the murders continue. So Steve Boca, another grocer. This is the third grocer, by the way. Uh, was this guy hates food? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> he doesn't like food? food? <laughs> uh, Steve Boca, a grocer, was attacked in his bedroom as he slept by an axe-wielding intruder on August 10th of 1919. So this is like six months after the letter came out. Or five months. I can't do math. Boca, a work... What? Oh. <laughs> Boca, a... This kid's running. <laughs> Boca, a... Malady? Malady? Malady. Um, Boca worked during the night to find a dark figure looming over his bed. Upon regaining consciousness, Boca ran to the street to investigate the intrusion and found that his head had been cracked open. So he was like, Wah! And then he's like, oh. <laughs> Brains? What is this nice, comfortable thing back here? squishy. (laughs) I know French now. (laughs) (laughs) The grocer ran to the home of his neighbor, Frank Ganuza. Ganuza, yeah. Where he lost consciousness and then collapsed because he was like, my brains are out. Uh, Nothing had been taken from his home, yet once again, a panel on the back door of the home had been chiseled away. Boca recovered from his injuries, but could not remember any details of the trauma. This attack took place after the emergence of the infamous Axman letter, as I mentioned. Sarah Lauman was attacked on the night of September 3rd of 1919. Neighbors came to check on the young woman who had lived alone and broke into the home when Lauman did not answer. That's because that's typical. When I knock on someone's door and they don't answer, I'm like, nothing else to do but break in. Literally you. <laughs> yeah. I can't get in. This breaks the back door. <laughs> I only did that once. <laughs> There you I know I'm in there. I, I know I'm in there. Let me in. <laughs> uh, 
They discover the 19-year-old lying unconscious on her bed, suffering from a severe head injury and missing several twofers. The intruder had entered the apartment through an open window and attacked the woman with a blunt object. A bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn of the building. Okay, he has to be a terrible axeman if he's like, unless he's like hitting them with the back end of the axe and not like the actual sharp part. It's like, what? <laughs> Anyways, like, wow, 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 wow. So Lauman recovered from her injuries, but yet couldn't recall any details from the attack. Then we have Mike Pepitone was attacked on the night of October 27th of 1919. His wife was awakened by a noise and arrived at the door of his bedroom just as a large axe-wielding man was fleeing the scene. Mike Pepitone had been struck in the head and was covered in his own blood. Blood splattered, uh, covered, blood splatter covered the majority of the room, which they also went into detail and said, like, even covering the uh, painting of the Virgin Mary. And I'm like, why? Y'all just wanted to talk about the Virgin Mary. Exactly. So Mrs. Pepitone, a mother of six children, was unable to describe any characteristics of the killer. The Pepitone murder was the last of the alleged Axeman attacks. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, the Axeman was not caught or identified, uh, and his crime spree stopped as mysteriously as it had started. The murderer's identity remains unknown to this day, although various possible identifications of varying plausibility have been proposed. Crime writer Colin Wilson speculates that the Axeman could have been uh, a man named Joseph Momfrey a man shot to death in uh, Los Angeles in December of 1920 by the widow of Mike Pepitone, the Axeman's last known victim. Wilson's theory had been widely repeated in other true crime books and websites. However, true crime writer Michael Newton uh, searched New Orleans and Los Angeles public police and court records, as well as newspaper archives, and fa failed to find any evidence of a man with the name Joseph Momfrey, or a similar name, having been assaulted or killed in Los Angeles. Newton was not able to find any information that Mrs. Pepitone was arrested, tried, or convicted for such a crime, uh, or indeed that she had been in California. Uh, so Newton note notes that Momfrey was not an unusual, unusual surname in New Orleans at the time of the crimes. It appears that there actually may have been an individual, individual named Joseph Momfrey or Mumfrey in New Orleans who had a criminal history who have, may have been connected with organized crime. However, local records for the period are not extensive enough to allow confirmation of this or to pos positively identify the individual. Wilson's explanation is an urban legend, and there is no more evidence now on the identity of the killer than there was at the time of the crimes. So this man killed six people and injured six more um, and just got away with it, just disappeared into the world. I love that. And my favorite was whenever he was on Coven – the only problem is that, like, a lot of the historical fiction, essentially, of, like, him being depicted, like, ends with him, like, the letter and the night of jazz being, like, the end of the murders, and it's, that's not true. That He attacked three more people after that. Or yeah. only, only three recorded people after that, so you never know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's just like that he was like, play jazz. Play jazz. And everybody was that. like, okay. Or someone who was believed. Because, I mean, it could have been... It was probably somebody that was just like, wouldn't it be I funny? I love the Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if we could see, like, see how scared people are and like we just put it in... It could have been some teenagers that were just like, <laughs> let's you know see what happens if people will actually play jazz. And sure enough, they did. So, I don't know. Yeah. It may not have even been the Axeman murder. It could have been the Axeman murder. We don't know. We, have, we The world will never know. And how are these all related? They may not even be related. Mm -hmm. And they could be copycats. These could have been like several different people. I mean, the modus... Operandi, <laughs> Operandi. Uh -huh. um, is very similar in almost all of these. The fact that he was able to like 
He kept on saying take took off panels. So I assume like it was like a like an old older style house where they just like removed like wood essentially and just like got in. I don't know. I don't know. I mean in New Orleans I mean, it depends on what part of New Orleans, but still they've they've got like the boards like that mm-hmm. on the house. The There's slats, no, like, yeah. Panels. Well, I mean, I assume that they probably didn't have like insulation really at the time. And so like once you remove a panel, you're basically just at the inside. Inside. So yeah, it's not like houses now where you take down that wall and it's like all cotton candy. Yeah. It's cotton candy and like so delicious. It, I mean, plywood and all that stuff in there. So wars. 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 Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. I really liked that one, and I was like really excited to to research it. So, did you yeah. have fun? I did. I did have fun. It's, it's a good. good. Story. It's a good story. I like that. Um, you know what else I like? What? Economy yeah. works. Economy works. Oh my god. Economy works. Oh, hold on. Let me let me mix this a little bit. Keep going. Oh, so good. Uh, a freelance talent network that connects professionals with project work. If you're a company that needs help with writing job descriptions, <laughs> conducting marketing <laughs> analysis, and managing your social media what? platforms, Economy Works has an extensive talent network of freelance professionals ready to help you do more with less. Economy Works. When we work, the economy works! Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. I love that. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to our sister podcast. Let's talk about gay stuff! <laughs> because they are our sisters from uh, other misters, um, and we actually really enjoy them. So well, we enjoy en- most of them. Yeah, I not mean, Tony. I was really just kidding. Tony. Tony's on the podcast. And <laughs> In the great words of Tony, what? <laughs> Have you seen my waistline? <laughs> um, so check them out. Give them a listen. They've got plenty of content, just mm. like your boys do. Yeah. Um, and we know that you've got time to listen, so do it. You're not doing anything else. <laughs> I mean, LOL. And then also, you should always go and look at our Rupee podcast as well, because mm-hmm. if you like uh, listening to us yell about things and you like drag stuff, you should go listen to our Rupee podcast, which is a spinoff of our Sweepy podcast. And we have a lot of opinions, oh, yeah. honey. We have so many opinions that our uh, opinions take longer than the episodes sometimes. Yeah. Which is shows an hour long, usually about an hour. Actually, and a half it shows. I realized that show is an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we're right on episodes, track. Then. Yeah, the past five episodes have been an hour and a half. So, but we spend thirty minutes talking about something that takes Some five minutes. Tangent. Yeah, that's true. It's like okay, let's talk about the runways. <laughs> five <laughs> hours later, <laughs> this one minute and a half portion of the show will take forty-five minutes. Well, even talking about like the drama and stuff like that that just like happened and went and takes longer. It's really entertaining. Uh, so yeah, just listen to us cackle and be stupid. We yeah. love that. We love that. Okay. Should we tell them to so maybe get, get spoopy, spoopy with, with it? it? Question.